The child welfare system is seeking to become more focused on upstream prevention, with increasing awareness that children do best when out-of-home placement can be avoided, we are witnessing a movement from a child welfare system to a more supportive approach to working with families. Child protection and primary and secondary prevention practitioners are working more collaboratively to better support families and communities. I'm Valerie Spiva Collins, Director of the Friends National Center for Community-Based Child Abuse Prevention, or CBCAP. In 2020, Friends invited other national organizations to partner with us in working with five states to convene a Prevention Mindset Institute, or what we call the PMI. These state teams are comprised of CBCAP state leads, child welfare directors, community partners, and parent leaders. This two-part podcast explores the PMI and the exciting changes happening around the country to assure that families are strengthened, children are safe, and communities are supportive. Today's podcast provides an overview of the PMI by exploring the experience of two states who have been participating since the beginning, Ohio and Texas. Our hosts are two members of the Friends Parent Advisory Council, or what we call the PAC. Valerie Labanyan, who was part of the first cohort of states as a parent partner, she now participates as a community partner from her home state of Kentucky in the second cohort of states. And Michael Kupelis, a parent leader from New Jersey, who is eager to hear more from Valerie and their guest about the Institute. Michael and Valerie will be joined by Sasha Roscoe from Texas and Nicole Silliman from Ohio, who will both share their state's work to move their systems upstream. Welcome to our podcast today. This is uh, Michael and with me is Valerie as well. We're going to actually take a dive in. Valerie, I'm actually itching to understand what this prevention Mindset Institute is since as a parent leader, I actually haven't participated. So why don't you actually take me into what you went through and what you saw and what was your experience? Well, thank you for asking, Michael. Um, the Prevention Mindset Institute, as we know, was initiated by friends um, to identify strategies that showed promise for shifting mindsets towards prevention. Um, the goal was to share knowledge with selected state teams, uh, learn from them, and then just take what we've learned and share it with the child, we and child welfare and prevention world. Uh, the goal is to share uh, information so that we can um, learn and grow from each other. Our, you know, our vision really is just because we want to shift um, intervening with families after bad things happen to putting more energy and resources into preventing things. Um, much like what our healthcare system has been doing and transforming into over the last few years, we put more emphasis on prevention than on treatment. Um, primary prevention, in case people don't know, is when a community focuses on um, building family strengths, which might include um, family resources, success centers, schools, um, teaching things like social emotional health. It can be concrete supports for families when they're struggling with things like housing, utilities, food, or other necessities that they might need. So shifting to prevention offers families the opportunity to overcome challenges. Um, it's not viewing poverty as neglect. It's uh, advancing kinship care, 
and keeping children in, in homes that they're familiar with and making uh, most child removals unnecessary. And it promotes the best possible outcomes for our nation's children, which is what we want. We also know that child protection interventions have disproportionately impacted black, brown, indigenous, and other families of color. And the data that we have now demands that we have an immediate reflection and action to stop these inequities and to build a more just approach to serving all families. So the PMI was a group of national partners and parents and state teams um, committed to transforming the child welfare system. Um, they had ambitious goals to create more prevention-focused and equitable uh, environments that support child and family well-being, and they're partnering with um, communities. They're identifying stakeholders. They're addressing policies and structural changes, and they're tracking progress towards um, successful outcomes. So when I first heard about the PMI, I was like, oh, pick me, pick me. Um, and, I, and I was a little jealous when I wasn't picked. They picked a Joanne Hodgman, my fellow PAC member. And so I said uh, to Valerie Spive Collins, I said, listen, if you ever need a second, that's me. I'm your girl. And I told Joanne, I said, listen, if you can't be there, you need to tell them to call me. Uh, because I was really interested in this whole process and what uh, the outcomes would be. Um, I want to be a part of changing the system to one that builds up families instead of tearing them apart. Um, during the first cohort, I was able to serve as a Friends PAC member, um, you know, speaking on behalf of parents and how they were affected by the current system and hearing how states are trying to focus on family strengths uh, before family ever reaches the awareness of child protective services. And if you know me, I'm all about strengths. Um, I met with several states and I, you know, I listened and I learned about how they were making changes in their states. And, I, and so when I got home, I was so excited. Uh, I wanted to share everything that I had learned. Uh, so I, I immediately called our state TAs. Um, I serve as the Community Collaboration for Children's State Parent Partner. Um, and so I called our TAs, Lynn Mason and Belena Shelton and Margaret Perkins, and I said, listen, I got to tell you about what I just did. I just had this awesome, you know, week with this Prevention Mindset Institute, and uh, you guys need to be a part of that. We need um, you. So uh, they they helped me get on, on our state's prevention collaborative, um, and so... This year, we were able to rewrite the laws uh, for uh, distinguishing between poverty and neglect because they're not the same. And so I was excited to be able to be part of that. Uh, and then I learned that we were getting a second cohort. And I was like, you have to apply, you have to apply, you have to apply. Um, and I asked if, you know, and if they would be willing to do that, which they were. And so a little bit of a surprise to me, instead of asking me to be a parent, they asked me to actually be a community partner. Uh, which is the first time that we've uh, had anyone uh, serve as a parent uh, as a community partner. And so that just makes it so that I get to um, have a little more say uh, and get my voice heard a little bit more, which I really appreciate. That is what prevention mindset is about, Michael. Wow. I really actually <laughs> like everything that I've been listening to, but I actually want to shift our energy and introduce some of the states that have been involved in this work. Um, and I want to hear from their side, their point of view, to see what actually has, as you mentioned, the parent being involved and shifted in their practices. So let's introduce now Sasha Rasco, Chief Prevention and Community Wellbeing Officer from Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, as well as Nicole Sullivan, Executive Director of Ohio Children Trust Funds. 
who are here with us today. And I want to direct uh, the first question to Nicole. Nicole, um, this question is actually for you. What about Friends Prevention Mindset Institute made you want to get involved? Thank you, Michael, and uh, thank you, Valerie, for uh, your perspective on what it's been like for you to participate in the PMI. So for Ohio, one of the biggest reasons Ohio became involved with the Friends Prevention Mindset Institute was that it closely aligned with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's biggest priority, improving the lives of Ohio's children. I need to take you all back a couple of years to explain what was happening in our state at that time. In November of 2019, our governor established the Children's Services Transformation Advisory Council to improve outcomes for Ohio's children. This advisory council was a multidisciplinary group of subject matter experts and individuals with lived experience in the foster care system, including foster youth, as well as biological kinship, foster and adoptive families. And this group traveled Ohio together, convening community forums where they talked to nearly 500 Ohioans about their experiences with Ohio's foster care system. The culmination of these different community forums resulted in an initial findings report that was released right around the same time as the application for the process for the Friends Prevention Mindset Institute. So within this report, there were seven core action areas that were identified with one specifically focused on prevention. And over time, the specific recommendation regarding how to address these action areas were identified where four of these recommendations fell under the prevention category, ultimately resulting in two of those action areas being assigned to the Children's Trust Fund to help lead in partnership with our children's services leaders at the Office of Families and Children. And I have to give you just a, a little bit of information pertaining to how we're structured um, within our state. And so the Children's Services Transformation Advisory Council is housed in the Office of Families and Children, which is part of the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. And the trust fund falls under that umbrella as well. So we were all within the same agency together working towards the same purpose. I provide all of this background and context regarding what was going on at the time when the Prevention Mindset Institute opportunity was released because it was just perfect timing for us to work hand in hand with our children's services partners and really think about how we can transform our systems with an emphasis on prevention and the need to provide more community supports at the front end prior to families ever experiencing a crisis. So just a few years ago, when we used to talk about prevention within children's services, it was more often than not geared towards preventing the reoccurrence of maltreatment once a family was already involved with our systems. Our prevention work at that time was very siloed. It was left up to individual agencies and providers to navigate what a prevention continuum could look like within their communities. And then they had to piece together services and programs on their own. We were lacking a statewide uniform approach for a prevention continuum. And now what we are seeing with this emphasis on children's services transformation in Ohio is a mindset change regarding prevention, really focusing on moving efforts upstream to look at the totality of what families are experiencing, what may be placing them at risk of contact with our systems, 
and how we can connect them to community-based services prior to ever rising to the level of contact with our children's services system. At the Trust Fund, we keep telling people that we've been doing this work for nearly 40 years at a very small level, given the resources that we have access to. The Prevention Mindset Institute was an opportunity for us to more formally align our efforts with our state-level children's services leadership and highlight and demonstrate our existing prevention infrastructure in the state to help lead this effort in partnership with children's services. Ultimately, this was that, that opportunity that we were looking for to help us strategically work hand in hand with our children's services leadership on developing strategies that we could take back to our state. A great thing about the Prevention Mindset Institute was the support from national experts like you all, as well as the expertise from the PAC members, which really helped us formulate ideas that we could jointly work to address as products of the Institute. I know coming back from the two-day retreat in Baltimore a couple of years ago, we had action items, we met on a regular basis with our other systems partner, and it really gave us that opportunity to strategize around a uniform mission and focus really geared towards prevention in our states. So ultimately, it felt like this opportunity was made specifically for us to get involved at that time. Well, we're certainly glad that you're here. Um, I know Texas has made some changes regarding its work with families involved in the court system. Um, Sasha, can you talk about some of those changes as they relate to the Texas developing their prevention mindset? Yeah, sure. And um, I'll echo Nicole and thank you, Valerie and Michael, for having us on and talking about prevention and the Prevention Mindset Institute, my favorite topics. Uh, um, great group of people to spend some time with. Um, so what one of the benefits of the Institute for us was its emphasis on, on really connecting to our downstream partners in child welfare and moving their mindset. Because for those of us sort of implementing a prevention strategy or implementing prevention programs that had been or and is sometimes still a struggle. We're, we're, we're upstream in the river and we are really very enthusiastic about that work and our colleagues downstream are busy, you know, being, um, you know, reactive and usually under crisis and kind of getting their attention and helping them think in some of the same ways as we do <clears throat> is a struggle and the Institute really provided us that opportunity. So the example, like where one of the places we really connected was in the judicial sector, um, at where again, we had had um, kind of probably a very similar path to what Nicole was saying, lots of groups over the years and initiatives. And we'd had judges who would say things like, well, I, I don't know what to do about prevention. I mean, these families are showing up in my courtroom and they're either already in crisis or I already have to deal with them in a legalistic way. And, um, and, and so we had just been talking to our court partners for a couple of years. They were getting, you know, not pressure, but they were being encouraged to think about prevention. And, and we've eventually landed in a, um, in this, in this role where they could be leaders, at least. They could at least speak to the issues they were seeing in their courtroom um, and what they envisioned could help families further upstream had, had there been some supports earlier um, or even diverted or, or, or alternatives to continued court involvement. And we had 
we had the opportunity to redirect some funding that we had to pilot three what we're calling them early court liaisons um, in in three of our state Texas counties. Now, I mean, I don't have to say that Texas is big. I'm sure you all know that, but we do have 264 counties. So I don't want (laughs) to go overboard about how big this pilot is, but they are in... um, in Galveston, which is a coastal community in the southeast Texas, Bell County, which is north of Austin and is also a huge military uh, community near Fort Hood, uh, which is a big deployment base, and then Lubbock County, which is far west Texas. Um, so three very different parts of the state. What we have, we're funding these liaisons. They are employees of the court, so the county, and they're really taking on two roles. They are both doing kind of active navigation for families involved in the court. And that has some preventative effort, maybe secondary, tertiary, um, and and potentially there are already been some examples of of. of, t- of families who've been able to close out their court involvement with just by being in, in more supportive um, services and uh, not needing to continue in the child welfare, child protective, or traditional child protective um, system. Um, but the other role these court liaisons are by are taking is being this community path builder and, and working with community partners uh, to both talk about the needs of families that they're seeing and help build out those supportive services um, and uh, build, again, more and more diversion. And what I'm hearing, I mean, this is, shouldn't be so mind-blowing, really, but um, as we often know, it can be when you just step in to help um, it's amazing what can happen and how sometimes it is very simple and there is a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, what what we're hearing is that previously courts were really relying on very uninformed cookie-cutter approaches to support services for families. You know, they knew uh, the judge may or, or, or judge or people working in the court may know of an organization and a parenting program that just has become their go-to um, may not be evidence-based, may not meet the needs of the families, but it just became the, like, you're going to go into this parenting class. or um, And that by having this resource within the courts, there's been a lot of, like, there's all these really great resources and, and programs that are much better suited for families. I didn't know about them. The courts didn't have time to map out and navigate toward them. Um, so it's been, I think it's been very eye-opening and already um, our we have a Supreme Court Children's Commission, which is uh, brings in uh, functions as our court improvement project one from the federal perspective, but also um, does a lot of state funded activity to build um, training and and expertise in the court system for these cases. There, there's already I think a, a judge in Harris County, which is Houston, that wants to f- is just trying to find other funding to fund a similar type of position. So I think it's a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit like having a social work navigator in the um, hospital systems. It's not a revolutionary idea, but I think giving it again this prevention mindset and asking, and because this is part of our funding, like we're not just serving the families in the system, but you have to be doing systemic work, working in the community and building out a better pathway for families, hopefully to even avoid coming into the courts. Um, it's been, it's been a really great effort 
where in this in-between space between really traditional upstream prevention work and downstream child protection work, which to me has been the really unique and helpful thing about PMI, as we often sort of talk about one in absence of the other. And this has been a place where we can really bring in our child protection partners and come up with solutions for that, for that gray space um, in the middle. Wow. I've been learning a lot as I've been listening to um, our partners here at the conversation, right, from Ohio and Texas. Uh, innovation is what I'm starting to hear that is coming out of this institute, and uh, I love it. Uh, I want to come back to Ohio, and uh, I want to just speak a little more and take a deeper dive. So, uh, Nicole, has Ohio changed how it works alongside parents? as you all develop more of the prevention mindset. Thanks, Michael. Um, so one thing about the Children's Trust Fund, and I will say we are really great at running programs, but where we have continued to need help um, over the years, and Mary Jo at Friends can attest to this, is really building up our, our inclusion and our ability to um, involve parents with lived experience to help inform our work. And that was one of the, the key benefits that we really were able to pull from our involvement with the Prevention Mindset Institute. So prior to our involvement, um, like I mentioned, we were lacking a clear direction that could kick off our journey to co-design systems with families. Given that a lot of, you know, just our state systems related to parent partner work existed at the individual program level, it wasn't necessarily coordinated as this uniform state level approach. And we really wanted to be intentional and make this a meaningful, um, you know, parent advisory council or a parent informed work as we were thinking about our approach. So after attending the Prevention Mindset Institute, we were introduced to Aaliyah and their Dear Leaders Framework, which is a set of theme-based discussion prompts and activities. And this is all developed by lived experts and leaders in the field, really focusing on preparing children's services teams to participate in system co-design work as partners. So during this process, um, you know, we engaged in uh, various planning meetings and webinars with our state children's services partners, staff at ALEA, friends staff, as well as other Prevention Mindset Institute states to learn more about how we could explore this framework and how we could bring this to our state and really make sure that we were being intentional in supporting our work with parents. Um, another part, as a part of another project uh, that we're currently involved with, there was also this need to bring together numerous cross-system partners to help us strategize a uniform vision for prevention that was informed and developed in partnership with the voice of families impacted by our systems. And so with these two different processes, our, our new project, as well as our involvement in the Prevention Mindset Institute, it just seemed like a perfect fit to bring these efforts together to really help move our work forward in Ohio. So and last year in early 2022, we worked uh, closely with Valerie and Mary Jo at Friends and with Aaliyah to support Ohio's cross-sector leaders in preparing to engage in statewide system change and sharing power with families. 
And in March, we were able to convene um, about 55 different leaders and representing various statewide systems that impact our children and families to engage in this Dear Leaders retreat. And it's exciting to see uh, some of you on this podcast today, uh, Michael and Joanne and Valerie, who were able to come to Ohio as part of the Dear Leaders retreat um, to really help us dive into this work. And this retreat was important because of the timing. First of all, it was our first in-person meeting with that many people. And I don't like to say post-COVID, but post-COVID where we really brought together that large of a group to engage in conversation, you know, participate in reflective activities and envision how leaders and systems might live into their leadership differently, co-creating a new way with families that they serve. And the, the voice of the, the Friends PAC members who were there, it was extremely invaluable and necessary to move our work forward, given that we hadn't yet formalized our own parent advisory council at that time. So it gave us a real opportunity to hear perspectives from parents through open dialogue and with a national perspective pertaining to our work in Ohio. This retreat did help us generate numerous themes pertaining to inclusion and equal involvement, uh, family voice in our work, ensuring that we are really designing our services around the family at the center versus not trying to fit the family in our service delivery system. Ultimately, we use the themes and the lessons learned from this retreat to help us formulate our own Parent and Family Advisory Council, which I'm excited to share just began convening in January of 2023. And it was the commitment from the Prevention Mindset Institute partners that really helped us launch this effort at the Trust Fund and to really be strategic about the inclusion of family voice and lived expertise to inform our work. Thank you, Nicole. Um, let's continue to learn more. Uh, I would like to pick your brain, Sasha. Uh, what else is Texas doing as part of this mindset? So one of the partners we brought to the Institute um, was our associate or my colleague who is the associate commissioner for the our statewide intake hotline. So basically our intake system, which is a is statewide in Texas. It's not count we don't have a county-based system. So he has hundreds of employees answering intake calls and they have a pretty sophisticated system for rerouting to services or opening intakes. And this was a sort of a, I was just really excited to have him there because, uh, and I have to back up a little bit and say that I started working in child abuse and neglect prevention almost a decade ago in 2013. And at the time, we just thought we were being super fancy by providing evidence-based programming. That was all the thing. You know, we had all this evidence-based home visiting. We were so proud of ourselves that we were helping families and we weren't being the mean CPS people. And, and of course, over, and we weren't talking to parents who had no idea what this home visiting thing was or how it was even remotely different from child protection and maybe it wasn't even what they needed or wanted, not to disparage these programs, which can be really wonderful. Um, so we were we were just, you know, being those naive helpers. Um, and over time, uh, you know, we both learned that 
well, surprise, not everybody really wanted to be in these programs. They don't work if people don't want to be in them or they weren't really helping. Uh, they weren't providing the more immediate help that families might need and that by not getting their immediate, their, their needs met and acknowledged, they didn't feel very respected or very enthusiastic. Um, and one of the many, and, and then digging deeper and then starting to talk with parents about what we sort of started calling service shyness. You know, parents are just like, mm, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you to your program or your program or your help. It, a lot of that was based on very, um, very understandable and um, fear uh, and trepidation about being involved with anybody who was there to help as a parent, help them as a parent, uh, particularly as we've already, I think Valerie mentioned in the beginning, um, our families of color who have absolutely have disparate outcomes in healthcare and child protection and lots of other systems. Um, and then, of course, the more we dug into that, we just really started thinking about the impact of having a mandatory reporting framework. And really, this isn't, every state has some version of it. There's differences in what's uh, required to be reported. Um, but I think despite all those legalities and policy issues, as a culture, I think, in the United States, everyone knows that there is this potential ramification of either seeking help or having it struggling or it, which is someone can call child protection and there's this fear of removal. And most people don't really understand all the legalities of it. And because it's, so it really just got us thinking about the impact of having mandatory reporting, the impact of um, training, reporting, per, training professionals over the years with messages like, if you suspect anything, call us and we'll we'll figure it out. We'll sort it out. Um, and it's a law and you have to report it or you're going to be in trouble. Um, so it, it became sort of this 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 policy focal point. And by having our intake director, it was really he's he's really the one mostly carrying out mandatory reporting. So um, and at the same time, um, the work of of reducing disproportionality, racial disproportionality in our, our system had fallen under my purview in the agency. So I was able to put these two things together and um, with the, the help of the Prevention Mindset Institute and our parent partners um, to at least start with redesigning our training of community reporters and, you know, what, what do you really need to call and starting to introduce more of a diversion or alternatives and, um, and, 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 and introduce training around um, being anti-racist in your, you know, in your reporting as a teacher or a, a physician or who met whatever your role is when you pick up the phone. So that was a very specific place. We haven't yet rolled out the training. We have, it, interestingly enough, in the last legislative session, really reduced the or narrowed the definition of neglect. There's now a term that says there has to be a blatant disregard for the child's safety, not just like you've done something that puts a child at risk, which is much broader. And there's even more introduced legislation right now to reduce mandatory reporting. Um, so it's it's also now a policy topic, but in the meantime, we've been really opening up this conversation about don't we want to say something different about when to call 
child protection and how to do it um, well and how else, what other ways are there to call child protection? And in Texas, we already have a very... um, um, a very restrictive definition. And we don't have like, we don't have anything like educational neglect or lots of things I think other states have that we would never open an intake on. Um, but so it, uh, but we still have particularly teachers calling just because there's a myth that calling will, will trigger services. And they just think, okay, if I call CPS, this family will get help. I know there's not really any abuse or neglect, but but then maybe they'll get, you know, some food or or rental assistance or utility assistance. And so part of that training is, no, that actually does not happen. And in fact, uh, you're, you're kind of trying to institute a first do no harm type of thinking um, in, in our training on mandatory reporting. And we've had three... Um, We've had three sessions um, specifically aimed at physicians and pediatricians, uh, three um, webinars like this with uh, that have been very, very well received by the medical community. And we've had one that was just a panel of doctors all talking about neglect and how they manage the, particularly in um, how they manage those kinds of cases, like, you know, uh, particularly like failure to thrive or, you know, newborns who aren't getting enough formula um, or um, things that can really be high risk. But uh, so I think we've started and sparked a really interesting conversation about how do you help families and when really is child protection a help and when is it absolutely necessary and when should you really build out much better pathways to supporting children and, and keeping them in strong relationships with their parents. It sounds like Texas and Ohio have made some really big changes, um, and I heard a lot of things that I really liked um, in the pro- in the in your comments, especially the you know getting the judicial system involved because we can make lots of changes at the child welfare level, but without the judicial system becoming involved, it makes it um, a little more difficult. The Friends National Center for Community-Based Child Abuse Prevention is funded by the Children's Bureau, Administration for Children and Families, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, under Cooperative Agreement Number 90CZ0027. The contents of this podcast are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of the Children's Bureau. For more information on the Prevention Mindset Institute, please visit Friends' website at friendsnrc.org. Permission to disseminate this recording is granted with acknowledgement of Friends National Center for CVCAP.